Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see each and every one of you here. If you're visiting with us, if this is your first time here, my name is Ben James. I am the, the lead pastor at FCC. This morning, a little, uh, something a little bit different. We, uh, you know, we usually provide you slides to follow along with. Um, I, I fought with slides and trying to get those onto the computer for a couple days now. And uh, as of my third attempt this morning, I just said, forget it. Forget it. So you just have to look all the time at me and listen all the time to me. Uh, so we're going to uh, be talking today about enter his rest. It's going to be out of Hebrews chapter 4. So if you want to, as I kind of give us a little introduction to the message, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't have one with you, there's one in the, should be in the general area in front of you there uh, of the pew where you're sitting. What the author of Hebrews has done up until this point is provide us a narrative that is connecting the audience that he's writing to, to the nation of Israel during their time of exodus from Egypt. He's used these connective statements, and we're going to see another one today at the beginning of chapter 4. But we see these connectors each chapter up until this point that has used this one word, therefore. Right? And we've highlighted that each week is like there's not a break in thought here. He has not changed gears in his writing. He is continuing to build on what his thoughts were previous. So chapter 1, he starts out by telling us that long ago, that God spoke through the prophets to our fathers in various ways at various times about who he was, about God's nature, his character. And then in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. He talks about how his son conquered sin and death. Talked about how he has come to this world, and now that he has ascended back, that God has seated him at his right hand, that he is making his enemies a footstool, then begins to talk about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And at the beginning of chapter 2, he begins by saying, therefore, so remember, Jesus is the revelation Jesus is the one. He is the great high priest. He is the one who's come. He's greater than the angels. He talks about that a little bit more when he used the terminology of, of making sure that you pay close attention. Pay, pay close attention to this message of Jesus Christ. Then in Hebrews chapter 3, he starts verse 1 with, Therefore, 
And it's directly connected to chapter 2, verse 18, which talks about that we have a great high priest who understands what we go through. He knows our temptations. He knows our sufferings. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what is happening in our lives. And then he goes on through chapter 3 and gives us this warning using the nation of Israel as this blueprint of don't fall into unbelief. Don't fall into unbelief as they did in the day of rebellion. So he's using the nation of Israel as this blueprint for the audience that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews. And the beautiful part about it this morning is he's using it as a blueprint for us as well. It's not just connectors. It's not just a blueprint. It's not just an example that he's building for the initial audience that read this letter. It's for you and I today just as much as what it was for them back then. So he's giving us this blueprint as to how to make sure that Jesus Christ is staying paramount in our lives. So let's go ahead and let's start reading. We're going to read the the first 13 verses. Chapter 4. Therefore, so it's connecting. Once again, what's it connecting to? 18. And whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? Verse 19, here's the connector. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God restored on the seventh day, I'm sorry, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. A lot of words there. Okay? That, that's a very wordy and uh, can be a very confusing 
section of Scripture. So what I want to do is I want us to, to look at entering His rest today, and we're going to break this down a little bit, and I'm going to try to put it in, in a way that makes sense to me, because I figure that if it makes sense to me, <laughs> it makes sense to anybody. All right, P kids in the nursery going, yeah, we got it, we're good. All right, so let's look at this concept of entering His rest, because that's what He's building on, don't fall into unbelief because they missed out on his rest they the children of israel missed out on the promised land out of millions of people that came out of egypt headed towards the promised land how many of you remember actually made it into that rest into the promised land two i don't even need fingers to count that high y'all there's two so he's like, it's because of unbelief. So let's pay attention to this. We see five different areas of rest that the writer of Hebrews gives to us. We have to understand that rest in God is not a new concept. God's desire for us to enter into his rest, for us to enter into his promise, has been around since the creation. Since the beginning, it didn't start when Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. That concept did not start there. And that's what the author's reminding them of. It's like, listen, rest in God is something that has been his heart from, from the very beginning. So let's look at some of these instances of rest. We see that in verse 4, if you'll look back there with me really quickly, it says, for he has somewhere spoken. I, I love the humility that we see here. Because as we continue to read Hebrews, although we don't know exactly who wrote it, we do know that they were really well versed in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the law. They knew what their stuff was. And here there's a little bit of humility because, you know, somewhere it says this. But it says that, Somewhere spoken of this seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So that's the first time that we see rest introduced in Scripture. And that's at the very beginning. That's when God created. God didn't need rest. It wasn't like God was like, I need a nap now. God doesn't tire. He doesn't need rest. But he knew that you and I would. And he also knew that the most valuable rest that we could ever have is the rest that we can find in him. So we see that from the very beginning. The next is we find in verse 5 where it talks about, and again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now this is referring to Israel coming out of Egypt after spending some time in the wilderness, it's been a little period of time, but I mean, we're not talking about years here. We're talking about still a relatively short amount of time. They finally get to the Jordan River in anticipation of crossing into the promised land, and they're like, we need to send spies. We need to scout this out. So we're going to send 12 spies into this promised land, and we're going to bring a report back to us. Well, 10 of them came back with a really negative report it just so happens the two that had the positive re report remember the two that we talked about out of all of them that were able to enter two and two anyhow 
But there's two of them that's like, now we can do this. The other 10 came back with a bad report. And again, simple-minded man, simple-minded things, the way it makes sense to me is, here's the report that they gave. They're really tall. We shouldn't do it. Well, well, why? They're really tall. Like back in this time, that's probably around six five, six six. You know, and God's like, do you all not remember what I just did in Egypt? Do you all not remember the ten strikes? Do you not remember how miraculously I saved you from what is most likely the most powerful nation on the face of the earth? I did that without batting the batting an eye. Do you all not remember standing at the Red Sea as Pharaoh's army was pressing towards you? Do you not remember the cloud and the fire? Do you not remember the miraculous way that I'm providing for you each and every day? Do you not remember this deliverance? I can promise you if I can take care of a nation of Egypt, six fives, no sweat for me. They're like, they had the donkey thing off Shrek, right? Uh, really tall? You know, they really didn't want to go in because they were like, they're giants in our eyes and we're like grasshoppers in theirs. It was because of that they didn't get to enter into the rest. You see, it was at that moment God was wanting to lead them into his rest, into his promise. And the next that we see is in verse 7. Now, I want to give you, give you a spoiler alert. Um, these do not go in chronological order. I don't know what the writer of Hebrews was thinking, but these are not in chronological order. I really want them to be in chronological order, but they're not. So again, at any point that we look in the Bible and we see that something that we disagree with, we have to assume the Bible's right and I'm wrong. Amen? All right, we don't like that. Anyhow, all right, verse 7, out of chronological order. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He jumps forward to David when Israel is already in the promised land. This is at the apex of the kingdom of Israel. This is when they are the mighty of mighties. This is when they are at their strongest. The writer of Hebrews is still referencing they weren't able to enter the rest completely then. Why? Because, folks, rest for our souls is not found in safety or in wealth. Rest for our souls is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. This is at the height of the nation of Israel when there's no higher that they can go, they still have yet to enter in completely to that rest. Then he goes back in verse 8, he kind of skips backwards in times again. So he says, verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. This is actually when they cross into the promised land. They cross the Jordan. They get into the promised land. God required all of the nations of Israel to go in and said, you cannot stop until all of the promised land has been possessed. Why would he say that? Because he knew that given the opportunity, they would have chosen comfort of where they had settled rather than pressing into the promise of God. And I think that's really applicable for us today as well. Folks, do not be satisfied being comfortable where you are when it's not where God is taking you. Don't settle 
for being where you are if that's not where God is leading you to be. And we see this because there were three tribes, even after the promised land was when they took it. There was three tribes that still was like, no, nah, we liked it better on the other side of the Jordan. And then lastly, in verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When's he, when's he talking about right here? When's the writer referencing? He's referencing it as they read it. Like there remains a Sabbath. There remains a rest. There remains a promise. There remains a place where you can come and you can find your rest in me. And can I submit to you this morning that we have this Sabbath rest also at 1109 Sunday morning here in Grayson, Kentucky. That is when that rest is available to us. Right now. So those are the five instances of rest that we see the, the author giving us. So let's go back to verse 1 just really quickly. And I want to step us through a few things. And we're going to talk about entering into his rest. So we've already covered therefore. There's a connective statement there. And we know that we don't need to fall back into unbelief. So that's, that's what he's focusing on. And then he makes this statement in verse 1. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let's talk about this word fear here for just a second. Uh, because in, in chapter 2, we see this command and this encouragement to not fear. So what's he talking about here? Now, if you're reading a New International Version, um, you, you will see kind of the phrasing of let us consider. Let us be aware now, I'm not against the NIV version at all, but that's a horrible translation in this passage. Because the Greek word that you is used as translated fear is nowhere near to let's, let's, let's make sure that we consider this. Two totally different Greek words. Now, again, I'm not anti-NIV, but there's a reason that sometimes you need to make sure you have a good word-for-word -word translation instead of just relying completely on paraphrase translations, Okay. Now, here's the difference in this word fear and consider. We tell our kids, okay, let, let's go to something that really is going to set you on edge and probably have your attention span about that long. When you go to the Mexican restaurant this afternoon, you may order something that when they bring it, they're going to set it down in front of you. And what are they going to tell you to be careful of? It's a hot plate. <laughs> we like us some Mexican restaurants down here, don't we? It's like, that top plate's hot, all right? I remember like when Rachel was little, we would, I'd cook her soup, and I'd be like, now, be careful, that's hot, all right? That's consider. <laughs> that's be aware that that top plate's hot, that soup's hot. Now, am I going to use that same terminology if Rachel approaches the hot burner that's still on on the soup that I cooked it on? No, I'm going to go, it's hot! Be careful! See, that's the difference in the phrasing here. And let's, let's look at this word fear because I want to go back to another moment in her childhood. We were out in our lawn playing one day with a kickball. And the ball went across the road. 
Rachel, probably four or five years old. We, we lived near a road. I mean, it wasn't like a massive, you know, busy road, but we lived near it. And the ball went across the road. And she just started taking off in a sprint towards that road. And right as she got next to it, what did I do? Stop! She jerked to attention and stopped. Right? I went up to her and I was like, okay, now here's why I did that. All right? So here's what we do. We go across the road. We look left. We look right. We look left again. And I explained to her at a four-year-old level what the dangers of a road really were. That, hey, it's not that you don't go across. It's just that you are really, really careful because if you're not careful, you could hurt yourself really badly. Maybe even... It may even wind up with you not being here anymore. So we had this talk and this discussion. And then a few days later, we're out there doing the same thing, and the ball gets kicked across the road again. And what does she do? She begins to dart back towards the road, but she gets like a step and a half, two steps in, and then this realization hits her. She's like, it's bad. Shouldn't do that. See, I don't think that we need to live our lives in fear constantly of falling back into unbelief. I don't, I, don't need, I don't believe we need to be consumed with that, and that's what we need to be focusing on all the time. But there has to be an awareness of the dangers in our lives, especially when it becomes dangerous to us falling away from our faith. You see, I, I, Matt Chandler had this quote that I believe sums it up about as well as, as it could possibly be done. He says... This is the type of fear that has you at peace when you're where you're supposed to be. Like when you're where you're supposed to be, you don't worry about that. And that's what the author of Hebrews is, is talking about. Is like, listen, remain here, remain in Him, remain focused on Christ, and you don't have to fear that. But you acknowledge and you're aware of it that, hey, if I get over here, there's an incredible amount of danger. It's the same thing with like guardrails on the road, right? It's like there's a reason that guardrails are there. And there's reasons that most of the time you have rumble strips before you get to the guardrails. It's an ever-increasing warning of danger. And that's the type of fear that the author is talking about here. It's like, listen, when you're where you're supposed to be, it's not fearful. But there is an awareness that if I get too far away, then I, then I, need, I need old dad to go, stop! I may just start doing that every week because I know there's far fewer naps being taken this morning right now. But that's, that's what we're seeing in verse 1 is this fear. Don't fall back into unbelief. Don't do that. That's where, that's where eternity begins to get compromised. That's where your relationship with God begins to get compromised. That's when all of these things, and again, that's what they're fighting here in this culture with this audience of Hebrews is becoming apostate, falling away from their faith, believing things that they did before and not staying true in their relationship with Christ. And in verse 2, we see this. 
For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The same salvation, the same deliverance, the same freedom that was given to the Israelites. The author is saying that same salvation is being given to you. And that same salvation is being given to us. He's saying that don't fall into unbelief because as some of them who weren't unified in their faith did, they went back and they never entered into the rest of God. They never entered into the fulfillment of the promise of God. Why? Because of their unbelief, their doubt, their fear. And I think so many of us battle that same thing today. Why? I think it's because the storms that we face in life. I think it's the trials. I think it's the tribulations. I think it's the situations that we walk through in our lives that the enemy tempts us and he uses those to have us questioning our faith, falling into unbelief, beginning to give way to doubt, beginning to give way to these questions of thinking, well, maybe, maybe this isn't the right thing. You see, it's in the storms of life where we typically have the most difficult time in our relationship with God. At least for me. And I would love to be able to tell you that God is going to speak peace and calm every storm in your life. But we don't see that being biblically accurate either. We talked a couple weeks ago that he expected obedience out of Peter even in the midst of the storm. Peter began to sink because of his lack of faith because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Now listen, we see another account where Jesus, man, he was taking a nap during a hurricane. My wife says that I could do that. But like, the, the disciples, man, they're freaking out. And Jesus is taking a nap. They're like, somebody go wake him up. See, I think there's a sense of spiritual peace in our life and entering into this rest can only be obtained when we are willing to seek the Savior first as opposed to the resolution of the storm. This recognition of, hey, we can't do anything about the storm, but I know that we've got a Savior who can. And even if he doesn't speak peace, be still into the storms of my life, I'm going to keep my focus planted firmly on him. The Apostle Paul writes that there is a spiritual peace that passes all understanding. But one of the things that I love to say is that we can't experience the peace that passes all understanding without being willing to forfeit our right to understand everything that's going on. I'm never going to experience peace in my heart if I feel like I have to understand why everything happens. Because that would circumvent my faith and place in its stead reason and rationality. So I've got a question. Y'all be ready to answer. All right, so get into your 
kindergarten first grade mode that you you want to be that first kid with their hand up all right how many of you this morning need rest the first one i saw was scarlett williams so i mean that's just obviously and i'm not talking about like a nap or a solid eight hours any parents of young children here going eight hours what are you talking about i don't get that in a week I'm not talking about just that type of rest, but I'm talking about a spiritual rest and a place where I can go, I'm home. I'm here. Listen, Friday kind of winds may be blowing all around me spiritually. Storms may be hitting me from every direction. Trials may be coming faster than I can process what's going on in my life. Turbulence is happening and my feet feel like they're being pulled out from under me. The moment that I begin to grab my footing once again, life knocks me back down, but still in the midst of it, I can say that I'm experiencing a spiritual peace. That's what kind of rest I'm talking about. How many of you need that in here this morning? I need that this morning. The good news is, is that the author of Hebrews tells us. So I don't even have to come up with application points this morning. The writer does it for me. Let's look in verse 11. Let us, therefore, strive to enter at that rest. That means you're going to have to put forth effort. That means you're going to have to do something. Okay? Everybody understand that. This means yes. You will have to put forth effort. Okay, good. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, I want to show you something before I read on. Tis a good sword. Is a good sword. I like it. <laughs> We're coming up on a passage here, a section in Scripture. It kind of seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, we're talking about this. Don't fall back into unbelief. Make sure that you're acknowledging that He wants you in His rest. Here are some things that you can do. You know, get into that rest. Don't be like them. Don't fall back. And then verse 11 says, you know, strive to enter that rest. And then verse 12 gives us an example of that rest. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So 
So could I get a volunteer? <laughs> feel like knighting someone this morning. So how, what's one of the ways that we can enter into this rest? For the Word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living. It's active. It pierces. It separates the bone from the marrow, the soul from the spirit. It seeks and searches out the inward things of man. Oh, okay, so preacher, I get what this is. It'll be another one of those sermon closings of read your Bible more. Yep. That's exactly what it is. When we have been reading this book and building for what is the end, almost the end of four chapters now into this point of make sure to enter his rest and the writer so obviously so blatantly says I'm going to tell you how to do it it's the word of God guys I want to tell you something this word doesn't necessarily always change the storms that's taking place in your life but I guarantee you it will do one thing if you get into it faithfully it will change your perspective on the storms in your life it'll change your outlook on what's happening because again we're tying in right to chapter 2 where it says that we for we do not have a high priest who does not understand us he understands our points of suffering he understands our temptations our Savior the one who came and gave his life for us the one who willingly came from heaven took on the form of a man innocently died a gruesome death raised from the grave on the third day ascended into heaven 40 days later seated at the right hand of God will be returning again one day he is the one who understands the storms in your life he is the one that has provided for us this word of comfort this word of challenge this word of conviction this word that will pierce us to examine us it doesn't pierce us to judge us it doesn't pierce us to condemn us. It pierces us so that we can see what's inside that doesn't match up with God. It can pierce us to show us that doubt. It can pierce us to show us our area of unbelief. It can pierce us to show us where our faith is weak. It is the Word of God. It is living. It is active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's given for our benefit given on our behalf to not fall victim to our unbelief. If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like for you to put it in your hands. If you don't, grab one from in front there. Nope, I want to keep the sword. Taking it home with me. 
Kim's going to be sitting on my side of the bed. <laughs> so now I encourage you, if you hear something, it'll wake me up and be like, yep. Not going to swing it too much. We'll be missing a leg up here. <laughs> Maybe mine. So. But now I want you to take the Bible that you have in your hand, and I want, I want you to hold it up. Please and thank you. What you're holding there is far more powerful than anything that I'm holding up here. That sword of the Spirit in the armor of God, that is what is being described. That the Word of God, living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That is the offensive weapon that you use against the enemy during the storms of your life. Amen? Amen. You can put your Bibles down. Praise team, if you would, please come back forward.